Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Welcome to the Hurricane Edition of the Cross-Examined radio program with me, Frank Turek, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. But it's not Saturday. If you're listening to this now, it's actually Thursday. We did not know if we would have power on Saturday, so we're pre-recording this one. We wish we could be live, but we don't know the progress of the storm right now. But uh, I do have a friend of mine here from Wilmington, North Carolina. He's been on this program before. He actually, he and I do some seminars together called called Fearless Faith with uh, Jay Warner Wallace. And his name is the great Dr. Mike Adams. Mike, how are you? Great to be here. Of course, it's great to be here because if you were at your house right now, you might be underwater. Well, not underwater yet, but we, uh, we, windy. It's windy and, and everything. Everything's shut down in Wilmington. That's right. right. So you um, came to our house here in Charlotte, and hopefully we're not underwater right now as you listen to this. And we got a lot to talk about today, Mike. I mean, you're yeah. on a college campus. You're a professor there. Yeah. You're at UNC. You're at UNC Wilmington. You're a uh, criminology professor there. You've written some tremendous books. Uh, and uh, you are really in the belly of the beast, man. You see what goes on every day on a college campus. You are like the lone conservative down there. What's it like to teach at a university filled with people who are far, far left? Well, it's interesting. I'm glad uh, that you said far, far left. I I get sick and tired of people talking about our, our liberal universities. It would be fantastic if our universities were still liberal, but liberalism presupposes what tolerance, which yep. presupposes the existence of moral judgments. And we are far beyond that. It's very far left. And the experience for me, uh, you know, it, this is my 26th year. So it's changed. We definitely had liberals in higher education when I started. It's just that the percentage is shifting. It's shifting to an illiberal left. Um, I have a, I work with millennials mm-hmm. who are now professors with PhDs, <laughs> and they have grown up their entire lives in an atmosphere uh, where the marketplace of ideas is dictated by speech codes and not by the First Amendment. And so it's really shifting, but I'm very happy to be there. Uh, you know, it, it's tough from time to time, but it is invigorating for me. It definitely gives me a sense of purpose. Uh, I think you you ask what it's like being the lone conservative. I'm not quite the lone conservative on the campus at UNC Wilmington, but I might as well be because mm. you never hear from the other conservatives. Don't they they're, sometimes they're, they're whisper, out there. whisper at you uh, like in the hall and say, hey, I'm kind of with you, but I can't speak up? Actually, the, yeah, that does happen. I, I've been pulled over by people in you know the dean's office, for example. Uh, I, I won a case against UNCW a few years ago. They'll pull me over and they'll so say, I was rooting for you. And they'll whisper it, you know, <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll kind of lean over and I'll say, no, thanks. You uh-huh. know, I, I don't, yeah. don't want to be friends with you. <laughs> You're part of the problem. Yeah, actually. You won't stand up. Well, uh, let's yeah. I know for, for our listeners who who don't know, give us kind of a two minute overview of that of that case that you won against your university. They. You were an atheist mm-hmm, when you got mm-hmm. tenure. You became a Christian. You started writing against uh, or exposing some of right. the things going on there at the university. And then they stopped promoting you, even though 
Your students have always rated you very highly on Rate My Professors. What happened? Well, yeah, it's that simple. You know, the, the conversion occurred, and I, I became an outspoken uh, a, opponent of fake diversity and the diversity movement in about 2001. Started to write in the column for townhall.com in 2003, and then I actually started shortly after that, started to actually recruit plaintiffs for lawsuits uh, against the, the university, including, you know, in my own system. Mm -hmm. And I, in a few years, I became actually, you know, fairly known in, in, in certain circles uh, as a critic of the university. And so, yeah, they denied a promotion in 2006. And that was the funny thing is that my student evaluations throughout my entire 25-year career have been very high. Hmm. But you look at the line, I was loved by the faculty, and then all of a sudden, boom, in 2000, you see the, the evaluations tank. And they actually denied me on the basis of teaching, research, and service. The problem was I'd won University Professor of the Year twice before I converted. Uh huh. You know, it, it didn't even pass the straight face test when it got in front of a jury. So it was easy. I think in my three-day trial, I, I don't think it took the jury two hours for them to deliberate and come back with a verdict in my favor on all counts. And, and your uh, attorney, David French. Yeah. Yeah. So you were telling me yeah. this yesterday. My, my, Mike and I have been held up for about 24 hours waiting for the storm to hit. So we were just talking about all sorts of stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and Mike, for those of you who don't know, is one of the professors in our fearless faith course. And those who are taking the fearless faith course right now, will be interacting with Mike here right. on zoom coming up pretty soon. But you were talking about how when French went into the uh, case he was showing different evaluations. What was he showing and, 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 and how did that convince the jury you were right and, you, and the university was wrong? Well, actually, one of the big problems, I don't know if I got into this in our last conversation, yeah. but I'll throw it out now. One of the big conversations was they actually tampered with evidence. I mean, the university did. Uh, the, the department chair, who was a Marxist, a feminist, what's so funny is she does her research on wrongful convictions in which she accuses prosecutors of tampering with evidence. It's, it's, it's just <laughs> she did it. It's a parody. <laughs> and so we found the original emails. Well, she not only destroyed all of the got rid of all of the positive things that were said about me and kept the negative. She actually put ellipses in the middle of sentences to change their meaning. Wow. And when the verdict came back, and I was actually, they found me to be sufficient on teaching and service, but not on research. Well, she actually destroyed the letter and rewrote one that said I was deficient in all three areas. That's like the jury four person, mm -hmm. you know, like, like tampering with the jury form and say, saying, you know, just, just kidding. You weren't guilty on one of the three things that you're accused of. You're guilty of everything, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> you know. So it was just, you know, it wasn't just a case of circumstantial evidence of bias. What really got the university in trouble actually was things like evidence tampering. Mm -hmm. And through, you can't do that in the area of, uh, of e-discovery anymore. It's not possible. Unless you're Hillary Clinton. You know, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, there you go. But, uh, but yeah, we, we were able to find that. That was a huge factor, not surprising at all for me, uh, you know, how do they justify that? Well, they're postmodernists, basically. You know, these are people who mm -hmm. put scare quotes around the concept of truth. And so um, it's easy for them to, to rationalize the destruction of evidence and rationalize just about everything. And when French showed the jury that your student evaluations from your students were, were five out of five consistently throughout your career. And then well, suddenly when, high fours. Yeah. High fours. And then suddenly yeah. when you become a Christian before that, the faculty are right with that. And then after that. Your evaluations from the faculty go in the tank for no apparent reason. 
Oh, to actually to the very bottom of the department. I am dead last uh, in a department of about 25 professors, uh-huh. just all of a sudden. How do they evaluate your teaching ability if they never go into your classroom? Oh, it, it's it's just funny. You know, you have these anonymous committees that get together and they look at your syllabus and everything. Everything is a farce uh, in academia. And, uh, you know, every, everything is just, it's a make-believe world there. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So um, it was, I, I'm just very thankful that through the process of, uh, I've just been given a good platform and I've met a lot of people and I'm thankful that I got to be good friends with the ADF and met David French, I wouldn't have mm-hmm. survived that case without having top-notch attorneys. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have won. Mm-hmm. But well, you, well, you, you should have won because you were right and they were wrong. But having a great attorney like David French really, really helps quite a bit, I can imagine. It helps quite a bit. And also one uh, who's an Iraqi war veteran yep. who can stand up in front of a jury of North Carolinians and just speak to them in, uh-huh. in his disarming manner. Uh-huh. And I loved it that Roy Cooper, who's now the governor, he was attorney general back then. For some reason, he thought it was a good idea to put two radical feminist attorneys in front of the North Carolina jury. He did that, you oh, know, yeah. play the gender card throughout oh, really? the entire thing. And you've got, you know, you've got some young Yale educated feminist there who's trying to argue uh, in front of a bunch of conservative, unemployed, working class Democrats. That's what juries often are it did in Greenville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Well, we're going to talk yeah. about playing the gender card because there's some things going on yeah. in Christianity and in academia right now, which our listeners need to know about. There's actually some Christians out there who saying they are pro-abortion, yeah. Mike, and yeah. you're going to debate one of them coming up here. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about how some universities are suppressing the truth about valid research regarding transgenderism and some other issues we'll get into. We're talking to my friend, Dr. Mike Adams. I'm Frank Turk. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network back in two. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examine podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the donate button or simply use the donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My guest today, Dr. Mike Adams from UNC Wilmington, written a number of great books. One of them is called Letters to a Young Progressive, How to Avoid Wasting Your Life Protesting Things You Don't Understand. What a great subtitle that is, by the way. And uh, Mike, let's talk a little bit about what goes on on a university. And let's just use your campus as an example, because you know it. You've been there for years. University of North Carolina at Wilmington has a women's center. Give us a little history what when, what that's about and well, where yeah, it is you know, now. Yeah, before we kind of get into this idea of uh, of, of pro-abortion, mm-hmm. that mentality creeping into the church, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I eventually want to talk here about why it's so important for the church to take a stand. And the, the, the way we kind of get there in that conversation is to realize that the university has become kind of this church, you know, for, for the for the worship mm. of the secular humanist uh, mindset and worldview. And they just believe that they don't have to be committed to a free and open marketplace of ideas. They think that all the major debates of the de- uh, day on issues like of abortion, well, they've taken place in the past. They've won, and they're proceeding on to the implementation stage. This know? is what I notice about the left, and I know you mm-hmm. notice it even more than I do, that the left does not want to have a debate. No. The left wants to cancel the debate. They want to shout you down. And friends, there are only two 
ways to move forward in a, in a civilized society on these issues. One is to debate principle. The other is just to use raw power. Mm-hmm. And what the left is doing now is they're using raw power yeah. on using their own principles mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to shut everybody else up. But anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go no, ahead. It, it, yeah. it's true. And th- they do believe that you know, they've won on the major mm-hmm. debates, and that took place decades ago. And so uh, when around 2001 on my university campus, we opened up a women's resource center for the first time. I mean, I knew at that time the campus was 68% female. We didn't need some safe haven for women to go and escape the patriarchy, you know, because they dominate the campus not only in numbers, but uh, but also in academic honors and, and mm-hmm. awards. Women outperform the men academically, and they're in greater numbers. So by no definition are they an oppressed minority. So that I knew way back in 2001 when they actually started, opened up a women's center, that the entire purpose of it was to be to promote, you know, abortion and and, and sexual politics. And so, of course, when they put up their uh, website for the very first time, uh, I noticed that they had a picture of Hillary Clinton. And then, of course, you go to a section where it talks about women's health resources. And what do you know? There's Planned Parenthood, a link to the website, the phone number, the address. But there's nothing for the local crisis pregnancy mm, of center. Of course not. Yeah. Instantly back then, uh, Kathleen Berkeley, by the way, was the original director of the center. I instantly contacted them and said, hey, in the name of tolerance and inclusion and in women's choice, why don't you have a second place where women can go for counseling, the Lifeline Pregnancy Center? And they said, well, no, that would duplicate information. We have a non-duplication policy. Well, I scrolled down Mm -hmm. and I noticed there was a separate section for, for rape crisis counseling, but they had two counseling centers listed. And I said, well, apparently you don't have a non-duplication policy at all. And so I start to push them, and very early on, we began to see you know this kind of nonsense taking place. And you know, you brought up earlier uh, this morning, you actually found an old column I wrote in 2014. Mm-hmm. So, so move forward, you know, a dozen years right. after the Women's Center has been launched, all you see is that they get more aggressive in their activities. Uh, we have this couple, uh, uh, this pair of lesbians who are married uh, to one another. Uh, uh, got married up in Massachusetts before it became, you know, legal uh, uh, by mandate of the Supreme Court back in, uh, what was that? 2015. 2015. So I'm writing this in 2014. They've been married up in Massachusetts. One of them is the Women's Center Director. The other is the LGBTQIA Office Director that Uh we've developed. And it's really interesting. Uh, They have got signs up in a university event that say good women have abortions. Okay, so now they're at this point, they're actively, very aggressively promoting it. Uh, They have established a relationship with the NARAL student group, an official. They they officially sponsored the NARAL group. National Abortion Rights Action League. Action League. By the way, you can't do that. There were 12 political groups on campus and NARAL was one of them. Well, the Women's Center picks one of them and says, we're going to sponsor them Mm. and and like promote their events, only their events, but not the pro-life club. Mm -hmm. They, they do a documentary on celebrating the life of George Tiller, a partial birth abortionist who was murdered in a church in Kansas. Uh, they do all these things. They have an event where they sell T-shirts that said, I had an abortion, encouraging the students at the university to actually boast about the fact that they had had abortions. So this is at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. It's state school. F- they're funding a 
Women's Resource Center on campus, mm-hmm. and they're distributing T-shirts that say, I had an abortion. They were doing this at their events, and this is back in 2014. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, it's very interesting. I got really active around this time and in uh, exposing what was going on at the Women's Center. We did have a change of leadership, and uh, we actually had a Republican, uh, Jose Sartorelli, became the chancellor in 2015. I'd written about all this stuff. He actually replaced the Women's Center director. Mm-hmm. And for a time, things were getting better. They actually took down the Planned Parenthood uh, contact information. But I actually just checked on the website recently this summer, and I noticed they've sneaked it back up again. But no crisis pregnancy uh, center. No crisis contact. pregnancy center. So all we have throughout this history of, of this center is just pro-abortion politics. And what's really bizarre is that we've actually had our LGBTQIA office uh, on campus, which is, you know, obviously the gay rights right, uh, sure, office yeah. and safe zone. They've actually done program programming sponsoring abortion, which is just kind of nonsensical uh, because their director for a number of years, who's no longer there, actually also was a, a volunteer at Planned Parenthood. So it's interesting. They just get into these different diversity offices and – they push the issue of abortion more than anything on huh. campus. Huh. I mean, this is their, you know, the holy sacrament, you know, uh, of, of the university left. It, it's shocking how much energy that they put into it. In fact, before we come back to that, I want to just bring this up, Mike. I don't know if you saw this. Mm-hmm. It just happened uh, earlier this week. There was a, a tweet by a lady by the name of Denise McAllister. Right, right. I don't know if you've heard. I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about her. But here's what she tweeted. Mm-hmm. This was her tweet. At the root of abortion hysteria is women's unhinged, unhinged desire for irresponsible sex. Sex is their God. Abortion is their sacrament. It's abhorrent as women have flung themselves from the heights of being the world's civilizing force to the muck and mire of dehumanizing depravity. Now, for that tweet, this woman has received death threats, has received uh, rape threats and is now going into hiding. Her family said, you need to go into hiding because these are credible threats. Mm-hmm. These people are proving her point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this has happened to me before where I, I've gone in and ridiculed people for hysteria and then boom, you've got this internet mob that comes out. Right, you. right, right. Uh, this is, this is the stuff of the French revolution. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, it's very interesting, but uh, yeah, I, I've had the experience many times on social media where uh, they, even when I wasn't attempting to do so, uh, I end up baiting them into proving my point. Uh, this is disturbing because I think if it were if it were me, if I were the person who had put that tweet out, I certainly would have gotten a reaction to it. Uh, but nothing like what you see when a woman actually right. goes out there and does it. What this reminds me of is the Ruth Malhotra lawsuit that occurred at Georgia Tech. She and Arit Scar sued the university over its uh, speech code. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's been over a decade since that lawsuit began. And they actually, I know Ruth was actually getting the rape threats and the anonymous <laughs> notes on her car and ended up having the security actually accompany her to graduation and, uh, and they were credible, and it was hysteria, and uh, a lot of it coming from their gay, gay straight lines on campus. And the so, folks who say they're fighting for tolerance? Yeah, and this is identity politics, yeah, uh, yeah. completely divorced from principle. The uh-huh. question of right or wrong is tied to group identity at all times. Yes, yes, and in fact, um, you're about to have a debate coming up in February. Yes. And this ties in nicely to what you were saying, Um you're debating a guy by the name of Willie Parker. We'll get to him in a minute, but mm-hmm. um, he's a, a pro-abortion, claims to be Christian, mm-hmm. 
You're right. going to debate him on UNC Wilmington. And you right. went to the Women's Resource Center and said, hey, would you like to help fund this debate? And what happened? Oh, that's interesting. We've had some representatives go there uh, and ask for the uh, debate uh, to be funded uh, with Rocio Christie, they're great. They're, mm-hmm. they're always stepping up, always stepping up mm-hmm. and funding these uh, these pro-life events. And a couple of their representatives, they were a student uh, and actually an employee, went to the Women's Center. And this is just typical. Uh, and the report I got back from that meeting is their only objection to funding the event actually is the uh, – uh, is the the gender of the people who are debating? It's mm. well, you know, they're men. This is a women's issue, and you're men. Uh, did, it's wait, it's did, shocking. Did you tell them that you you might feel like a woman that day? And- <laughs> you know, actually, I I, I should. Uh, but as I understand it, I am probably, I'm going to have to look into this, but I'm probably obligated to file a Title IX uh, sex discrimination complaint mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm told that I'm supposed to report any incident of uh, of sex discrimination, and that certainly is sex discrimination, uh, you know, even if they're just saying that to mask viewpoint discrimination. Still, right, right, I've exactly. got to do something about that. But this is the kind of mendacity that we run into Every single time that we try and open up the marketplace of ideas and to have some sort of a debate. You know, um, uh, yeah. Frank Beck with a mutual friend of ours yes, and sometimes teaches yes. at Summit famously said years ago mm-hmm. um, when someone who was pro-abortion said, well, you can't have an opinion. You're a man. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is a debate. Genitals, genitals do not have argument or arguments do not have genitals yeah. is the way he yeah. put it, you know. <laughs> exactly. And, and it would be equivalent to say that you couldn't be against slavery in this country unless you were a black person. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, then that's what I have to say to the Women's Center on our, our campus. I mean, it's preposterous. Uh, you know, like like two men can't have a good debate on, on the issue of abortion. Well, hold on a second. What was the best debate that ever occurred in the history of this country on the topic of slavery? Well, it was between Douglas and Lincoln. Neither one of them were black. That's right. Yes. <laughs> okay. yes. It's not irrelevant. Yeah, it's, it's not relevant uh, at all. the quality of their arguments at all. Yeah. Well, that's just what you say. It's just pure identity politics. That's right. Pure identity And unless politics. if you don't have the right identity, according to their definition of identity, identity, then you're just you're you're not even allowed to debate the issue. You're you're out on the outside. Individuals don't have rights. Groups have rights. Mm, that's the problem. And that's the mentality, friends. If you're listening to this, if you're sending your kid off to a college or a university and most of them are left of center, as you know, this is the kind of mentality that goes on on a college campus. And, and you do a wonderful job of exposing it, Mike. If people want to read your columns, where do they go? Well, it's interesting. I wrote for townhall.com for, uh, I guess, uh, about 15 years. And I started writing for the Daily Wire, uh, Ben Shapiro's website, right. back in May. And I haven't written much lately. Um, I, I, I am sporadic on there. Mm-hmm. All, all summer, I did a weekly column. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it might be one or two a month, but that is the place to find my newest material. And uh, and it's great to keep up with Ben's material as well. Oh, absolutely. So you can find Mike at uh, The Daily Wire. Also go to townhall.com and just type his name in there. He's got some amazing columns you'll enjoy and be enlightened by. Where You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My guest, Dr. Mike Adams, UNC Wilmington. The book is called... Uh, Letters to a Young Progressive, How to Avoid Wasting Your Life Protesting Things You Don't Understand. More with Mike in just a minute. Don't go away. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, 
We don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. Frank Turek of crossexamine.org back with you. I want to mention this coming Thursday, September 20th, I'll be at Grand Valley State University. Grand Valley State University up there on the western side of Michigan. I'll be, with, be there with my friend Dr. Richard Howe and also Dr. Tim McGrew. We're going to be talking about our miracles believable. That's going to be 7 p.m. All the details are on our website, crossexamine.org. Then the Rethink Conference in a couple of weeks, September 28th, 29th, out there in Costa Mesa, California. Then I'll be at Sand Hills, uh, in, the, in the Sand Hills, or I should say really Pinehurst area of North Carolina, if it's still uh, standing after this hurricane. Uh, in early October, I'll be there. Then I'll be at Spartanburg Methodist College the day after that. Then I'll be at McNeese State down in Louisiana. Then we have the Apologetics Conference here in Charlotte, North Carolina. You don't want to miss that. That's October 12th uh, and 13th. Robbie Zacharias headlining it along with you, Ross and Dr. Norman Geisler and Jay Warner Wallace and several others. Then the Spyglass uh, apologetics and uh, theology conference out there in Colorado Springs toward the end of October. Then I'll be at the University of Maryland, Towson State, several other places. Check the website, crossexamine.org for more. Hope to see you out there on the road. I'm talking to my friend, Dr. Mike Adams, UNC Wilmington professor who writes some brilliant columns and works with me and Jay Warner Wallace on Fearless Faith, the program we take to churches to prepare young people to go to college or even in high school to be ready for high school. Because Mike is on a college campus. He knows what goes on there. He knows how to deal with the politics there and how to deal with all the nonsense that will be dumped on your child once he or she goes there. Uh, and we also give you a straight apologetics in the Fearless Faith course. So if you're at a, 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 a church that would like Fearless Faith at that particular uh, organization, you just need to contact us at crossexamine.org. But I want to go back to Mike. Mike, before right. the break, we were talking a little bit about the fact that you're going to have a debate with a man by the name of Willie Parker. Who is this guy and what does he believe? Yeah, well, I, I am going into the last five or six years here in my career as a professor, and I've decided uh, I, I would like to try and debate the issue of abortion on my campus every year mm -hmm. until I retire. And where did I decide to start? Well, Dr. Willie Parker, because he is a quote-unquote Christian who uh, performs abortions for a living. He performs them. He performs them. He has performed over 10,000 abortions and claims that he is doing the will of God and that Jesus called him to do it. You're not going to believe this, but you, you know he'll actually cite a portion of the New Testament that convinced him he needed to do this. You know what it was? What? It was the parable of the Good Samaritan. What? I mean, most people would hear that and think, well, there's one question that comes out there. Who is my neighbor? Uh -huh. Which would raise the question, is the unborn my neighbor? You know, if not, why? Uh, but this guy is really a piece of work, and I, I decided to sit down and – uh, read his book, Life's Work, uh, a, a Moral Argument for Choice, uh, last year. And I was so absolutely appalled by the content of it. Um, I spoke to Rosho Christie at my university and said, reach out to him and let's challenge him to uh, a debate. And he accepted the challenge. And I'm looking forward to it uh, because, you know, he's an example of um, 
something we've seen that's popped up with greater frequency in recent years. If you come along and claim that you're pro-choice, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to just go and get a book contract. But if you claim that you are a pro-choice Christian, mm. boy, you 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 can you better believe that they're going to give you a book, get oh, a yeah. big book contract and put you out there on the national right. media tour. Right. And so they've grabbed a hold of this guy. And, um, you know, it's amazing. Will, Willie Parker. And uh, I, it's interesting. He is a black male who has accepted the Margaret Sanger Award from Planned Parenthood. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's like Margaret a, it's like a Sanger. parody. Margaret Sanger, as you know, and maybe our listeners don't know, was a racist Absolutely. who wanted to who wanted to abolish the black race, mm -hmm. uh, the black ethnicity is only one race, the human race. But in any mm -hmm. event, she wanted to eradicate black children. And well, it's stunning. Yeah, I've got a column about this on the Daily she's, Wire. By the way, she's the founder of Planned Parenthood, ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And it's called, uh, uh, what is it, Margaret Sanger Stooge is actually the name of it, where it actually has a picture of Willie Parker accepting this award from Planned Parenthood. And, and it's really kind of stunning when you sit there and do the numbers. You know, Dr. Parker has admitted to performing 10,000 abortions. He also admits in his book that 37% of those aborted are black. So by his own admission, he has killed, you know, what, 3,700 uh, innocent blacks inside the womb. If you take a look at the statistics from the Tuskegee Institute, the total number of blacks lynched in the history of the United States of America uh, is 3,447. I mean, let that sink in for a second. He's actually aborted more blacks than that. This and guy. he actually admits that they were blacks. He's not admitting that they were just a blob of tissue. Well, no, actually, no, no. Uh, that, well, there, his book is full of contradictions. Okay. Uh, but, right. but let me speak to that directly. If you if you want to get an answer from Dr. Parker about when life begins, he actually gives three separate answers. Um, first of all, he says, well, life technically begins uh, before conception, because it, it's it's like a continuity of the woman's life. That's a bizarre thing. I mean, I wonder how often Willie Parker has gone to perform an abortion, you know, and he accidentally aborted the mother. <laughs> you know? That's right. No, of course, of course. You know, when, when O.J. Simpson's uh, uh, DNA was found at the murder scene, you know, it's like they didn't go arrest his mother because, uh -huh. you know, well, they've got different DNA. I mean, it's just absurd. Uh, he, what's also very strange is he then turns around in his book and says that. I can state authoritatively as a Christian and a scientist that life does not begin at conception. Well, he can't state anything authoritatively as a Christian because he has said that there is no one interpretation of Scripture or Christianity. Uh, is that the right one interpretation? So there, exactly. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and furthermore, the science of embryology says, of course, that the unborn is a distinct living and whole human being of at course. the point of conception. Yeah. And he also goes on to say a, a third explanation that we're not sure whether a life begins. It's a gray area between 22 and 25 weeks after conception. But then he says they're viable at 22 weeks. I mean, it's, it's Look, bizarre nonsense. I know some teenagers that are not viable. Yeah. I don't have the yeah. right to kill them. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous what he's saying. Now, you said something brilliant in well, many things brilliant in your debate with Nadine. Nadine Strawson. She used to be the head of the civil. Uh, the ACLU. Uh, ACLU that's right. Yeah. yeah. OK, she was. We and, debated and, at Oregon State. Right. A few years ago. You can see it on uh, YouTube. Look it up. And uh, there was a point where uh, you were pointing out that. This is a living being because dead things don't don't grow. Yeah, we were. It, it was an interesting moment in our 
cross acts, I guess, right. our, our informal exchange uh, during a 20-minute portion of the debate. But she sat there and denied the personhood and the humanity of the unborn. And she talked about this 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 two-cell stage of existence, which, by the way, you're two cells for less than one second, right. <laughs> by uh-huh. the way. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and at some point, I did just take a look at her, and I said, Nadine, you know, there's, there's a difference between what you saw. I showed the, I showed the pictures, obviously, of right. aborted fetuses there at the debate, and the two cells say, you know, how did you get from one point to the next? And I just paused and looked at her and said, Nadine, dead things don't grow. Mm-hmm. And how did she respond to that? Do you recall? You know, she just kind of shakes her head. And uh, my contention there was that there's absolute unanimity in the science of embryology that life begins at conception. She actually brought up a document during that debate I'd never seen before in which she claimed that it had statements from other from embryologists uh, uh, who said that it's not known. As to whether life begins okay, conception. Well, well, then here's what's interesting, though. Yeah. Let me tell you this. Scott Klusendorf then debated her afterwards. Uh-huh. So he went and tracked down the document. And we actually found that none of the authors of the paper were embryologists. So my point stands. Oh. There, there is literally 100 percent consensus of course. in the science of embryology that life begins at conception. Right, right. New life begins. Yes, at conception. Right. Yes, yeah. And so so the problem then from the pro-choice position is that. You know, you are either a science-denying fundamentalist uh-huh. or you've got a big philosophical problem on your hands. Right. Because once you accept that science, then you're in a position of arguing that sometimes it is okay to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Mm-hmm. And that's a philosophical argument. It's also a moral claim. And it's a moral saying, claim. Every, there, there are, there's no moral neutrality on abortion. If you're saying that a woman has a moral right to choose an abortion, that's a moral claim. And what you're saying is the baby has no moral right to life. The father has no uh, capability to stop the death of his or her child. Right. The state has no moral authority to step in and say you can't do this. Those are all moral positions. The question is where do you get these moral positions from? You're just inventing them. That's the problem. And Willie Parker obviously is is if he's getting a pro-abortion position from the, the Good Samaritan parable, that's just crazy. OK, yeah, let's just say it is, it. it is. But that's that's where we are in academia today. And I want to close the loop on this, Mike, because mm-hmm. we've got just a few minutes left in this segment. Why can a guy like Willie Parker, who claims to be a Christian, get away with this? Well, you notice it's not just him. It's Rebecca Todd Peters uh-huh. now has a book. As uh, a Christian uh, and also professor at Elon, uh-huh. supporting abortion, we also have John Pavlovich, who's got a new book coming out, and he's been all over the internet supporting it. And we have this wave of Christian pro-aborts. The reason for it is that the church has been silent on the issue of abortion. Mm. They just don't want to talk about it because it makes some people feel uncomfortable. Mm. I mean, you'll notice that you'll have no problem getting the, the local mega church there to get political when it's something like human trafficking. Yeah. Now, you know why they'll do that? They'll have a special weekend event uh-huh. on how they can come together as a church to fight human trafficking. Which is good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And you know why they feel comfortable doing that. Nobody disagrees. The pastor can be reasonably certain that, uh, let's say it's a it's a church like my town yeah. where we have one of these big churches. It's, it's uh, a they got 5,500 people, yeah. I think, that come every Sunday. And even in an audience that large, the pastor can be reasonably comfortable in knowing that no one in that congregation is involved in human trafficking. Uh, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, um, 
you can bet that they're not only people having abortions out there, but also working for Planned Parenthood. You know, a, but a you number. See, yeah. that, that's the very reason, though, Mike. As you know, they ought to talk about it exactly, and they ought to say that Jesus is the solution. Yeah, that you can cover your sins. All of our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. And people listening right now, if you've had an abortion, yes, put it under right. the cross of Christ. But to hide from the issue, yeah, they're missing a gospel opportunity. Yes. And they're missing the opportunity to say, moving forward, don't do this again. Yeah. I, you know, for years, I knew a prosecutor in my town, very liberal, and his, uh, his wife actually worked at Planned Parenthood, and they went to a mega church in my, my town, and they just sat there for years in church. She would listen to the sermons on a Sunday and then go and, and help with the abortion of, of children on Monday, and she was able to do that because it was a safe zone for mm, her. Mm, the church mm. really shouldn't be a safe zone there. It should be a nudging zone. It shouldn't be a safe zone for any of us. No, it shouldn't We're be. We're all sinners, and we need to be corrected on our sin and asked to repent. Um, so the pro-choicers will take over the church, of course, if mm -hmm. the pro-lifers are silenced. That, that's yeah. the problem we're facing. And the same thing is true on these gender and sexuality issues, Absolutely. which we'll get to right after Absolutely. the break. We've got to talk about that as well. Believe it or not, Ivy League institutions, Ivy League schools are suppressing the truth about transgender research that some transgender activists don't like. And you're not going to believe this, but we'll talk about it when we get back. You're listening to Cross-Examine with Frank Turk, my guest today, Dr. Mike Adams from UNC Wilmington. We're back in two minutes. Don't go away. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type Cross-Examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. You know, if you have doubts about Christianity, many of us sometimes do. Look, sometimes I have doubts. Look, I wrote a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and sometimes I wake up and go, hmm, I wonder if this stuff is true. Well, when I realize the evidence is quite good, I realize I ought to start doubting my doubts, because once you start doubting your doubts, you're back to knowing something for sure. In other words, most of my doubts are psychological. They're not intellectual. Well, Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist, has written a book on doubt, and he's actually running a new course for us. Uh, and it's called Doubting Toward Faith. It begins in October. If you want to be a part of it, um, just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, and if you watch the four-minute YouTube video, it is chilling. It's a four-minute opening video about this course. It's amazing. You want to watch it, just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. I'm here with my friend, Dr. Mike Adams, who is one of uh, my colleagues here on occasion at Cross Examine when we go out and teach fearless faith seminars at churches all over the country. And uh, Mike, we were talking prior mm -hmm. to this uh, about um, the abortion issue, but I want to transition today uh, or in this segment to talk about um, an issue that occurred at Brown University, an Ivy League school just uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I'll just give a, a one-minute kind of overview of what happened. A, a medical doctor by the name of Lisa Littman did some research, and she basically discovered that um, there was a, a number of teenage girls who averaged about 16 years old in, in her study who suddenly became real interested in transgenderism, that they wanted to transition. And they had none of this prior um, early on in life, like, many young people do who go down this route. Mm -hmm. And she 
seemed to pinpoint the fact that the reason that there was this big surge in transgenderism interest by these largely female uh, young people was because they had spent a lot of time on social media and social media was encouraging them, affirming them to get involved in transgenderism and maybe even do the surgery. And so she did this research. Uh, Brown University originally put a little blurb on the research. It was peer reviewed research. And uh, then some activists, transgender activists started hammering on social media, Brown University for suggesting that this was good research, even though they they couldn't in any way find anything wrong with the facts or the methodology of coming to these conclusions. And the dean of the the school Mm -hmm. or the dean of the department took the thing down, took the article down that said, hey, you ought to look at this research and maybe we can read some of what he said. But is this common? Does this happen all the time that well, this this is, th- this is new. This whole transmania thing is actually uh, an extension of what we were talking about before. You know, in the abortion debate, what we, we've got is this idea of personhood philosophically separating right. from biology, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you see that? The idea that human identity, you know, can, can be separated from biological facts. Uh-huh. That, that's how we end up killing innocent human beings, right? Right, right. Uh, in the name of choice. Well, the same thing is at play in the transgendered movement. That This idea that your gender can be utterly divorced from basic biological facts um, is it, just kind of the next step in, in where we're moving. And so it's really interesting because this fascinates me because I have a master's degree in psychology. And I was taught all of my professors in graduate school were Democrats and I took abnormal psychology, and I had to memorize the DSM Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the third edition of it. And I had to be able to say that gender identity disorder is a thing that exists, right? Mm-hmm. It's out there. If you're biologically male and think that you're female, you have a disorder. A mental I mean, disorder. Yeah. Yes. Thinking that you're something you're not. Right. Is the definition of a disorder. If I think I'm a poached egg, it's no different. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. I mean, I've got a problem. And these were all Democrats. There were no right wing professors who were forcing me to learn this stuff and turn around and, and regurgitate it. And then I, I don't believe that the DSM changed until probably about 2015. It's only been about three years where they've sort of lightened up and said, well, the real problem is if you have a problem with it and have anxiety as a result of the, oh. you know you know they, they kind of mm. you, you see this subtle right, right, wording right. change there it's not a disorder in and of itself and kind of unless you define it as a problem uh, it's really strange and 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 the listeners out there can take a look at the wording changes and, mm. and see what's going on because it's not the first time that the DSM has kind of been altered for political, political reasons. reasons yeah and so here's here's I think the catching point that's very important. We wanted to back off of this idea that gender identity disorder is a disorder per se. Okay, we we, we don't want to suggest that there's something wrong with folks uh, like, you know, the Caitlyn Jenners of this world, for example. Okay, so it's interesting. I believe that this reaction by this dean up at Brown actually reinforces the idea that trans folks are emotionally weaker, right? Mm, mm. It's like we have got to take this peer-reviewed research and grab it and yank it off the website because if they see it, they'll fly off the handle. 
well, they won't be able to handle it. They already did fly off the handle. And, and, this, well, is, and this is literally what he said. The point. This is literally what he said. The school has heard from Brown community members expressing concerns that the conclusions of the study could be used to discredit efforts to support transgender youth and invalidate the perspectives of members of the transgender community, unquote. So basically he's saying that facts discovered by this research right. might cause some people to disagree with it and not support their political goals. So we're going to suppress the facts. The university is now saying feelings don't care about your facts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, they're right. offended by facts, Mike. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And it's not like they said, well, the, the research isn't good. The model wasn't uh, properly. Or the method methodology was faulty or they didn't say any of that. They didn't say the facts were wrong. They said we need to hide the facts because people are upset. Yeah. I had a, a, an experience back in, in high school briefly of dating a woman who suffered from anorexia. Okay. Yes. And imagine and she was just really beginning to lose a lot of weight. It wasn't a good situation. Mm -hmm. Imagine the university taking the position that, well, look, if she perceives that she's fat, well, we, we've got to go there and, right. and we've got to help her. We've got to reinforce this view and help her body to adjust. They'll, you kill people. I know. Yeah. With that kind of compassion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, let's uh, let's get her, give her a right to liposuction, too. That I mean, that's basically what the transgender movement is doing. If you truly want to love somebody, you truly want to help somebody, you tell them the truth. Yeah. And the truth is, if you think you're a man, but you're really a woman. You can't change your body, but you can change your mind. Mm -hmm. And this, and, and when it comes to anorexia, it was Dr. Paul McHugh of uh, mm -hmm. John Hopkins University, a yeah. psychiatrist. He brought up that analogy. He said, transgenderism is like anorexia. You just brought it up. There's yeah. a disconnect between your mind and your body. You can't change your body. You can change your mind. Right. Uh, and so it's tragic. And, and as you know, the research bears this out, that people who even have the transgender surgery still... 20 years after the research, or 20 years after the surgery, I should say, still experience suicide rates at 20 times mm -hmm. the, 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 the normal population. So the surgery doesn't even help them. Right. So, and when you say this, well, it's politically incorrect, and you're going to take all sorts of arrows, and I'll probably get emails because of this. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. So that's fine. I'm just telling you the truth. You don't like the truth? There's nothing I can do. You don't like it. Okay. But now for an Ivy League school, and by the way, I've got to point this out. And if you want to read the, an article on this, you can go to, um, let me see, the uh, website here is quillette.com, Q-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.com. And the gentleman writing this article from which I just read, um, his name is Jeffrey Flyer. He is the former dean of the Harvard Medical School. Right. And he is saying that what Brown is doing to suppress this research is a big red flag, mm -hmm. and he's never seen this before, that a, a, a political pressure put on by activists who are not medical doctors are causing an Ivy League institution to suppress their own research. Right, right. And, you know, there's an important moral point for us mm -hmm. to, to make out there. Uh, people who, who, who jump in and applaud other people who are destroying themselves and harming themselves, mm -hmm. they don't love them. They don't care about no. them. They only have one concern – and that is to get social approval. Right. And, you know, I think it's absolutely shocking. You know, when we had this whole HB2 controversy right. that occurred, I guess that was back in 2016. A couple of years ago here in Charlotte. April. Garden. 
and it, it began here in Charlotte, yeah. and obviously it spread up to Raleigh. And what's interesting is we, we have approximately 50 faculty senators uh, at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. And when it came up for there to be a, a vote on uh, a resolution to condemn HB2, guess what the vote was? What? 50 to nothing. Oh, it's crazy. We yeah. didn't have a single dissenter uh-huh. out there. And what that shows is the dissenters are actually there. They're just groups. They're actually yeah, there. They're afraid. But yeah. you see that yeah. people are pretending and they're just mm-hmm. going along because they want to avoid some of the hysteria that we've actually talked about in this program that happens on social media, it's one thing, but when it starts to actually happen within the gates of the academy, that's another thing. There's no last refuge. Yeah, it's scary, folks. It really is. And the church needs to speak up and speak the truth in love. And some people are going to hate you for speaking the truth. In fact, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, that people suppress the truth and unrighteousness to go their own way. They don't want the truth being brought up. This is why, as I've said many times in this program, the key question I ask people who are not Christians is if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And many of them will say no. Why? Because it's not about truth. It's about what they personally want. They're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest, and they're just going to believe whatever they think is going to make them happy. And tragically, if you believe in error, ultimately you're going to be unhappy. The only way to get true contentment and happiness is to go straight through truth, and Jesus is the truth. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, uh, give it our listeners again where they can learn more about you and how to get in contact with you and read your columns. Well, uh, just uh, go to the Daily Wire. And uh, also, I've got my archive is still up there at uh, townhall.com. Town I've probably got a thousand things that oh, I've yeah. written there over the, over the last decade or so. Uh, and of course, uh, pick up a copy of Letters to a Young Progressive. Uh, a you'll book. enjoy it. Uh, yeah. Do it before you go to college, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Before you go to college, Letters to a Young Progressive, the greatest subtitle in the history of books, which is. How to avoid wasting your life protesting things you don't understand. But, I love it. But Greg Kokel made that up. <laughs> he did. So I got it. Greg gave that to me. It's so great. I got to give great. him credit. All right. That's the great Dr. Mike Adams. Pray that we're not underwater as you listen to this. Mike lives in Wilmington. I live in Charlotte. And don't forget, this coming uh, Thursday, I'll be with uh, Dr. Richard Howe and Dr. Tim McGrew at Grand Valley State University. And then at Rethink the following weekend. Also a grassroots conference right after Grand Valley State in Michigan. It's all on the website, crossexamine.org. Check it out, and we'll see you here next week. God bless. We work hard to create great content and deliver truth and valuable insights to all of our cross-examined podcast listeners. If you agree, take 30 seconds out of your busy schedule to leave us a five-star rating so more people like you can find us. Just look for the Cross-Examined Official Podcast, three words on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. We are truly grateful for your support. 